This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. conversationalists welcome it is friday and not just any friday an open line friday here at the eric erickson show across america the phone number 877-973-7425 if you'd like to be on the program remember to text eric e-r-i-c-k to 33777 get links to the show notes and all that i want to begin uh with phone calls this hour i do there there's a story i want you to know that in austria they are considering making it a constitutional right to have access to paper money. Not a bad idea. I got thoughts on it. But first, let's go to the phones. Let's begin with Kevin. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Doing good. Uh, just got a, a quick question. Uh, I've been hearing, as everybody else has for months and months and months now that the United States is in debt, you know, trillions on top of trillions of dollars. And, but nobody, nobody ever says, you know, who the U.S. is in debt to and what for. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Well, Kevin, I happen to know the answer to the question. Um, there are two. <laughs> there, there are two different uh, degrees of debt. Uh, let me explain these to you now. I'm letting you go there. There's some background noise uh, in in the background of your call. Um, so just just listen to me on the radio now. There is intragovernmental debt. That's not really what we figure in the national debt, although part of it is in there. Uh, The government takes the money that you pay into Social Security and spends that money on the government. And the reason is goes back to Lyndon Johnson in the Vietnam War. He did not want the budget to look so out of whack with spending on the war effort in Vietnam. So he broke open the so-called trust fund, Social Security trust fund. He started using that money to make his situation look better fiscally and then just started piling IOUs into the Social Security trust fund. It's been that way ever since. So there's an intergovernmental uh, debt transfer with the Social Security trust fund, Medicare and Medicaid, those fixed entitlements. But that is factored into the national debt because of where the money comes from. And that money, that debt that is to be repaid comes in the form of bonds. You and me 
and institutions like banks and, for example, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, and governments like China and Russia and Saudi Arabia and France and Australia, they buy U.S. treasuries. And they buy U.S. treasuries, the government gets the money, and the government uses that money to fund the government. So every year, the American government has a deficit. The deficit is the gap between the money we spend and the money we bring in. We spend more every year than we uh, bring in in terms of tax revenue. So to make up the difference, you, you bring in $5 trillion in tax revenue, but you have a budget of $7 trillion, so you need two more trillion dollars to fund the government. So what the government does is it releases bonds and says, we will, you give us money and we will pay it back to you plus interest over time. And then that $2 trillion for which bonds are issued goes into the national debt. Our national debt exceeds $30 trillion. Now for perspective, this is important and it's true. For perspective, from George Washington to George W. Bush, our national debt was $10 trillion. By the time George W. Bush left office, our national debt was $10 trillion. Barack Obama, in his two terms, added $10 trillion to the national debt. Our national debt in Barack Obama's eight years doubled. Barack Obama added more to the national debt than all prior presidents combined. It's a true statement. And then Donald Trump was president for four years. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to the national debt. Donald Trump added more in one term than Barack Obama did in one and a half terms. Massive amount of debt added to the federal government uh, in the last number of years. And now, now Joe Biden is skyrocketing the debt. We're, we've now exceeded $32 trillion. That money comes from taxpayers. That money comes from people who buy bonds. Now, the reason people buy American bonds, despite our massive debt load, is because the Constitution requires the repayment of our debts. And everyone knows the United States, despite our flaws, despite our economy, still has the strongest, uh, still has the strongest economy in the world. We got problems, though. The CEO of Blackstone, not BlackRock, but Blackstone, uh, was on CNBC this morning. Blackstone CEO Steve Schwarzman weighing in on the Fitch rating agency's downgrade of U.S. long-term credit after comments from investors like Warren Buffett this week, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. Private equity pioneer Schwarzman shared his thoughts on the downgrade in this Squawk Box exclusive. Well, nobody expected it. That's the first. Uh, secondly, uh, the numbers justify it, um, regrettably. You know, we've had an explosion uh, of, of debt since the global financial crisis, uh, and we don't appear to have a lot of discipline uh, going forward. We're running huge deficits now. So on the numbers, you can understand uh, why they did it. Uh, on the other hand, 
uh, as Jamie said, because uh, Jamie's always opinionated, I must say, uh, you know, the U.S. is the U.S. We are the reserve currency. Uh, we do defend uh, a large part of the world, uh, including people who have AAAs. Uh, and um, when there's a crisis in the world, they buy our securities. Now, that doesn't last forever if you don't keep some discipline. You got to keep some discipline there. You're, you're right. We, we we have too much of a debt load right now. Now, everyone else on earth knows the government's going to pay back our bonds. And it's good that we do. And it's good that we have a stable bond market in this country. Uh, you get a good rate of return now because interest rates have gone up. And interest rates haven't gone up. They're, they're really, they've gone back to normal. I mean, for most of my life, the life of my parents and your parents, interest rates in this country were between 4 and 8% on the low end. Uh, for the most part, for the last 40 years, so we've had interest rates around 4 to 5%. This is kind of normal times. It's, it's abnormal to have 0% interest rates. Bonds are giving an incredible yield for customers. It's, it's a good, stable investment. You want a guaranteed rate of return of around 5 or so percent right now. You invest in bonds. You get that back. You're happy. The government's happy. They get money. But that then does go to the national debt, and you got to pay it back. It's just a, it's a, a massive amount of money that so many people in this country need to understand uh, it's coming from people who buy bonds from the government. The government pays it back with interest. Uh, but more and more, it becomes such a overwhelming percent of our economy. If you took 100% of all the money our economy generates, and now for perspective, the U.S. economy is head and shoulders above every other economy. You know, the world has been saying, you know, China's going to dominate us. China's going to get ahead of us. Actually, China's headed into an economic depression, which is a bad thing, a depression. That means prices and wages are beginning to collapse in China, and it's bad. And the reason it's bad to have a depression is because the entire structure of government is dependent on, a, uh, on wages being a certain amount and prices being a certain amount. And when prices go down and wages go down as well, people can't pay the tax revenue that the government has projected. People can't, the government doesn't generate money. Social services begin to collapse uh, because social services and the government are predicated on certain prices. And when the underlying prices go down, the government's paying in excess, which is bad. Now in China, they're communists, so they'll just break their contracts and stuff. But depressions are economically destabilizing because prices tend to collapse faster than wages. And so people lose their jobs as wages fall and prices fall so nobody can work and even though prices are going down nobody can buy anything it's economically destabilizing for china it'll have cascading effects around the world when it happens but that will make it harder and harder for china to surpass us economically we are the gold standard economy in the world we've got all sorts of problems and i don't want you to minimize the problems we have all sorts of problems but we still have a better situation than every other country Every European nation has inflation higher than our inflation. Every European and Asian nation now has higher interest rates than our interest rates. And our interest rates are at a 22-year high. That should put everything in perspective. The problem, however, is literally if you took all of the money that our economy generates, every single penny, 
when you go to Burger King and you buy, when, when, when you get wages, all take all of the money that our economy generates, add it all together, and our national debt for the first time exceeds that money. And it's really bad. Now, some of you will say, well, why don't we just pay down the national debt? There's actually a better solution, and that is expand the economy. So if our national debt is $33 trillion and our economy produces $32 trillion, we'll deregulate, encourage investment, grow the economy, and suddenly our $32 trillion economy becomes a $50 trillion economy, and our national debt is now lower than our gross domestic product, is a smaller percentage. And that becomes economically stabilizing because the government is always guaranteed to have enough money to go pay those bonds back. Um, that's a really wonky conversation, and I apologize if I bored you out of your mind. It's a great question, though. Uh, in a nutshell, though, the question was, where, who, owe, who is owed our national debt? And that is everyone who's bought a government bond. You know, final story here before we get out of here. I've got a, I've got a dear friend of mine who lives down in South Georgia, and he worked for a lawyer whose grandmother had stacks and stacks and stacks of Sears and Roebuck catalogs. Now, for those of you who don't know, back in the day, Sears and Roebuck had this thing called the Big Book Catalog. It was a very thick catalog. You could buy everything you wanted in there. Um, shotguns, pantyhose, uh, radios, camping gear, you name it, you could buy it from Sears and Roebuck. And this grandmother had stacks of Sears and Roebuck catalogs. And the grandkids all thought she was a hoarder. And... They go in to throw away the Sears and Roebuck catalogs after she died, and they realize that she, the reason she had all these catalogs is she had war bonds and had kept buying war bonds during World War II and had their certificates in the Sears and Roebuck catalogs to keep the certificates flat and in condition. And they had a whole lot of money coming to the family because those war bonds and the interest on them that had never been cashed in. And you have situations like this. The government owed her a lot of money because of all those war bonds she had bought. If you buy a government bond, the government owes you money. And it is at this time, particularly when your savings account is not generating a lot of interest, for senior citizens who want a stable rate of return for retirement that they know is going to get paid when it comes due, buying American bonds is quite a good investment. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just telling you, the American government's not going to default on paying the bonds. When the world seems crazy, he'll keep you sane. It's the Eric Erickson Show. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. I got to apologize to some of you uh, on hold, and some of you who have emailed in, uh, we had a caller call about a passage of the Bible. I told him what I think, and this is why I love you guys, but uh, lots of people want to chime in with their own interpretation or clarify something I said. This really isn't Bible study, uh, and, and I know I talk about theology too, um, but I'm if I open it up to, well, actually, I interpret it this way, then someone's going to call in and say, I interpret it that way. And I try to steer clear of those, but I've got like five emails from people and people on hold as well. And 
I just tend to stay away from that because it becomes even more confusing for people who have uh, questions. Um, so I hope you understand. Now, I do, however, want to go to Dennis's phone call. Dennis, thanks for being patient. Hey, Eric. Thanks for a great show. Thank just you. I wanted to comment on the DEI, um, where the facts coming from for all the courses that I used to have to take in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of piggying back off that was when we'd have to take, like, sexual harassment training. They would say that one in three girls would be sexually assaulted in college. And I always thought we must have a bad generation of parents if they would send their daughter to a place where one in three of them are getting sexually assaulted. I always thought that was kind of funny. And then I just wanted to know your opinion on the transracial movement, because it seems that if we can change, identify as a different gender and maybe in the future identify as a different race, conservatives can just identify away all the DEI problems that were being <laughs> okay. about. So that's such a great question. So there was a story the other day on NBC News about this one, and the experts they talked to were like uh, – professors of media and cultural studies. And one of the great quotes was that um, gender is a social construct, but race is a cultural construct. And since race is a cultural construct, it's not something you can change because it's your culture and you can't change culture. Uh, which at the same time is defeatist because it suggests there can be no change at all. Uh, and it's also deeply absurd to say, well, it's this this construct as opposed to it is this thing. Um, and by the way, so Dennis, just before you go, I'm I'm with you that um, if you have if you've got a college and says, well, three out of four girls are sexually assaulted on this campus, why the hell are you sending your daughters to a campus? Where, where three out of gr- four girls are being sexually assaulted. That has never made sense to me uh, ever that colleges talk about this stuff in terms of sexual assaults on campus. Now, sexual assault is real. I was in the student judiciary when I was in college. I, I sadly know about terrible things that happen on college campuses, um, and it is not to minimize it. But when you say, like, two out of three girls are sexually assaulted on a college campus, um College administrators, you're really doing a terrible sell on your college. And also, we actually know that that data isn't actually true. Um, And and I know you're not supposed to dispute that, but it actually isn't true. Um, But it really is just a ridiculous thing. Um, As to the race stuff, y'all, I'm really fascinated with this one. Um, it, it, hoisted by their own logical tard, the, these people want you to believe that you can pick and choose whether you're a male or a female, but somehow it doesn't apply to your race, which they admit is a cultural construct. But then thanks to the laws of intersectionalism, uh, culture is broader than social. Therefore, you can change social, but you can't change cultural. So you can't decide you're something else. Well, Rachel Dozal was pretty successful at it for a very long time. Um, they just don't like their logic being used against them. Smart, fearless, and occasionally funny. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Okay, I got to describe for you guys what's happening right now. Um, out my rear window, which if you see the if, if you see the the shots of me on Instagram or Twitter, the videos of the the show, 
got a window behind me. It's actually a TV screen that, that uh, has the camera in the window because I can control the lighting better this way so it doesn't wash out sometimes. But you see the clouds, and it's fine. But then I've got a window out to my left side right now. And literally, looking out the window to the left of me, there is a severe thunderstorm uh, on the left side and sunshine on the right side. I mean, I'm literally looking at this. I'm seeing these lightning bolts come down. And then over on the right, you see blue sky. It is the weirdest thing. It, it's the storm is rolling in. I can't see the buildings on the horizon now. It's raining so hard, I can usually see buildings there. And I can't. Uh, but <laughs> the further I go to the right down this wall of windows, there's blue sky. It's just summer weather in the south is just the most bizarre thing. All right, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm shaking things up. I do want to get to the the, the cash story in Austria. I do. Um, but before I do that, I – so I have – uh, not not to dive too far in and sound like an old man here, but I've got uh, bone spurs on my heels, and, and they give me all sorts of trouble. And I stepped off a curb in Atlanta the other day, and the back of my heel, uh, my left foot, is so swollen. You can see that bone It's like it's trying to push through the skin. It's inflamed. It's very tight. It's so swollen. It hurts. It hurts when I sit. It hurts when I lay down. It hurts when I walk. I'm limping around. And I have, uh, lately, I had a doctor suggest to me as a random treatment, take off my socks and shoes and walk on grass. And he said, there is a growing body of research, scientific research, credible science from real scientific institutions, not quackery and pseudoscience. There is a growing body of research that walking barefoot in the grass uh, is amazingly therapeutic. And I had heard this from a guy I follow on Instagram who's a um, fitness and nutrition coach. And I was like, ah, that sounds like pseudoscience, and not to disparage essential oils, but, you know, but sure enough, there is a massive growing body of scientific evidence that walking on grass in your bare feet uh, because of the negative ions in the grass, uh, there's all sorts of now studies that it can uh, heal chronic injuries, it's good for your body, it's good for your psyche, and, and sure enough, at this point, I think the evidence is so overwhelming. I, I, I find it fascinating that our modern industrial society has so disconnected us from nature, and here's this uh, the, these studies, and literally there are dozens of studies from institutions all around the world that if you have um, chronic pain, chronic foot injuries, uh, suffering from depression and whatnot, uh, walking barefoot in grass is good. Now, we just had our backyard resodded. It was a it just a mess. We had massive erosion problems. We were getting a, a spy in from Georgia Spa Company, and I needed to do some landscaping and put down a pad for the spy anyway, and they were like, it's time to fix the backyard. So we did it. Now I've got this perfect carpet of grass, and I just got to make a priority of getting out there and walking barefoot. I'm just, I'm fascinated by this research. I'm, I, it sounds so much like quackery. And yet there are uh, like really credible science out there. And now there's more. It turns out that for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people, being near salt water is also physically and mentally therapeutic. Now, I know the mental uh, therapy of this. My oldest sister suffers badly from what seasonal, what, what is it, the, the seasonal affected disorder or whatever. Uh, my oldest sister tends to get depressed in the wintertime. A lot of people do. My oldest sister in particular 
experiences depression in the wintertime when the, there's not a lot of sunlight. And she has, since she was a kid, there's something about being on the beach and inhaling the salty air and being in the salt water that is just, it's good for her soul. Uh, I, I want to do well in radio and make a lot of money and maybe win this Mega Millions jackpot uh, so I can buy a beach house just so my sister can go use it uh, and, and be at the beach. It does her phenomenal good. And it turns out, actually, that uh, for mental and physical health, uh, it's called uh, thalassotherapy, the use of salt water for healing. It goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks who believed that exposure to salt water was good, and there are now, just like walking on grass, all sorts of studies now from all the pseudoscience and all the anecdotal data in history. Uh, science uh, Scientists at different research institutions have been studying this more and more, and it does turn out that uh, salt water does go to 2021 study that included 16,000 people in 18 countries, indicated that spending time outdoors uh, near the ocean was associated with improved well-being, and a decrease of depression. It also tends to improve the body. Uh, people with chronic pain tend to have a reduction in symptoms. It's just, I'm, y'all. Now, this gets into the theological stuff of which I'm doing my best not to overexpose you to, but, you know, there's just something for uh, God's creatures enjoying his creation. And I'm fascinated by the increasing body of evidence out there, both um, being at the beach and in nature generally, and walking on grass helps with chronic pain, helps with depression, helps with all these things. And when I think about it in personal terms, the amount of isolation I have and probably most of you have from nature. Uh, now, my producer who answers the phone, Charlie, uh, is, well, he can have a gruff personality, shall we say, until he's gone and sit in a tree stand for multiple days by himself in the woods trying to kill deer, whether he kills them or not. He tends to be a happier person when he comes back. Now, part of it is, let's just be honest, he's been by himself alone in the woods for several days. But also, there's something about being in nature. It's good for you. I, I, as I've gotten older, I, I have realized more and more just being outside. It's one reason I like playing golf. If this rain will finally get through, I'm supposed to go play golf in a couple hours after it dries out. And I, the main reason I like being on a golf course at this point is just being outside in nature with my friends enjoying each other's company. I suck at golf, but I love to play it these days because it's just nice to be outside uh, on the grass with friends in nature, take a good cigar, maybe a beer or a bottle of bourbon, and you're just enjoying each other's company on the golf course while you're tearing up the field trying to hit a golf ball. It is. I saw somebody this morning, they sent me a link on Instagram of somebody that it is the um, it's the new white obsession. I don't mean cocaine. It's golf, and it is. I'm obsessed. And I'm terrible, but I'm getting better. Now, having said all that, let's go back to the phones. Chris, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hey, Eric. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic and improving. I'd be even better if you could explain to me what is Russia trying to do with the ruble and the gold standard. And I believe uh, what I've read in the past is China is also trying as well to change it over to the gold standard. And what would that do to the American dollar, and how would that affect gold and silver? I'm sure it would drive it out of the roof, but could you please explain that to me? I'm going to hang up because I'm in my work truck, and it's rather loud. <laughs> All right, Chris. Um, so currency manipulation. 
Um, what happens is uh, governments, they either they try to, through currency exchange markets, buy up or sell a lot of currency to devalue another country's currency or increase their own currency. Um, so, for example, um, China manipulates its currency, and the way China manipulates its currency is it holds large reserves, and it can sell those reserves if it wants to lower its exchange rate, or it can buy uh, more, use those reserves to buy more Chinese currency on the open market if it wants to drive up its exchange rate. One of the things China does is it's trying to hurt the United States economically. The United States is called the world's reserve currency. That means because the United States, as I've said, always pays its bills and always pays its bonds, other governments invest in the U.S. dollar. They keep their reserves in the U.S. dollar because our dollar tends to be very stable in the world. It's the most stable currency. So let's take gold for a minute. Gold has a uh, generally fixed price. It goes up some. It goes down some. Gold never really skyrockets in price, but gold never really falls in price. So when you have inflation or you have deflation, if you have gold in your portfolio, gold is a pretty stable uh, hedge against inflation and against deflation because it's going to hold its value. Gold is gold. There's a fixed amount of it on planet Earth. The dollar is considered currency-wise as close to gold as you can get because the dollar tends to hold its value against every other currency on the planet. What China likes to do is either flood the markets with extra Chinese money or yank a bunch of Chinese money out of the markets, take it out of its banks, uh, so that it can affect the exchange rate to get better rates on purchases around the world. It's called currency manipulation. The Russians do it with the ruble as well. Now, we have moved beyond, and this is a pipe dream for a lot of people, and you know what, Charlie? Don't take any phone calls on it. There are passionate, passionate, passionate people about the gold standard. And I understand why they are passionate about the gold standard. As I said, gold is a fixed asset. Gold, there is no more gold on planet Earth. We haven't mined it all, we haven't gotten it all, but there is a fixed amount of gold on planet Earth. And for a very long time, globally, gold was what backed currency. For every dollar, there had to be a dollar's worth of gold. If the government produced a trillion dollars, there had to be a trillion dollars of gold at Fort Knox. After World War II, we, well, we got rid of the gold standard in World War II, and after World War II, uh, governments came up with fixed exchange rates. Uh, they largely premised it on the U.S. economy and the dollar at the time, which is another reason we're the reserve currency, because we were the dominant economy in the Western world at the time. And governments now have what's called fiat currency, where they set the value of their currency by fiat. It's not based on gold or silver. And there are a lot of people who don't like it because they think that it's not backed by anything. Uh, well, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the various governments of the world. And that may not be good for you, but ultimately, this is true, and the gold standard people really don't like it. Economic currencies around the world have been far more stable through this fiat currency setup than ever before. You know it's not tied to a precious metal. There's really nothing back in it other than the word of the government. But it has stabilized the world. We've had far 
every recession we've had in this country and depression we've had uh, has been far less burdensome than when you go back to the 1800s when everything was on the gold standard. Around the world, it became economically destabilizing. Uh, fiat currency, whether you like it or not, and I've got friends who despise uh, the American dollar and currency around the world because it's not backed by anything. They despise it. Uh, one is very into crypto as a result of it. Uh, crypto is really not backed by much anymore e- either. Uh, but nonetheless, people have people have very strident opinions on the gold standard and the American dollar, and those people tend to be the people who just chase rainbows. Um, and and it, when when people get spun up on the gold currency or the gold standard and stuff, I'm like, y'all, I, you're living in a world that doesn't exist. But we are living in a world where a lot of governments more and more and a lot of businesses are trying to get you to stop using paper currency and coins. I don't like to use paper currency and coins myself. I like to use Apple Pay. It's easy. I don't have to touch germy dollars and coins. But also, I recognize that the desire to get us to stop using them is a way to control us. This is from Bloomberg News. Austria's government plans to anchor the right to use cash in its constitution, addressing a hot topic for opposition parties agitating about digital currencies. The government in Vienna has set up a task force to establish how it can enshrine payments with physical money as a constitutional right. That would ensure cash continues to be accepted in shops and to guarantee access to ATMs to all residents. Everyone should have the right to choose how and in what form they want to pay. People in Austria have a right to cash. You can't appreciate this because you live in the United States. But China has an app on phones, and the app is called WeChat. Japan has something very much like WeChat called Line. But WeChat is how people pay for everything. It's like in this country, Venmo, except it's like everyone in China has WeChat. It's how you pay for your bus fares, how you pay for your subway tokens, how you pay for your airport. It's how you pay for your groceries. It's how you pay for your restaurant bill. It's how you exchange communications with people. Um, Think of WeChat as an iPhone. An iPhone is produced by Apple, and it comes with apps on the phone, one of which is Apple Pay, one of which is an email program, one of which is a messaging program. It's a physical device on which you have these apps. WeChat is an app you put on the phone, but then within that app, you have messaging, you have uh, monetary payments, you have communication with government, and China can restrict your access to WeChat. And because everyone in China uses WeChat, and because every company in China makes payments over WeChat, if the government restricts your access to WeChat, you are restricted from your ability to participate in society. And now China has a social credit score. If you do not have a good social credit score in China, you may not be able to get a good job. You may not be able to take public transportation. You may not be able to go on vacation. You may not be able to use certain hospitals or shop at certain grocery stores or go to certain restaurants. They control you and your behavior with a social credit score. And they can do it because in China, it is harder and harder to use a paper currency. Many businesses and government entities in China only accept payment over WeChat now. This country, you are more and more likely these days to find businesses you go into, and they say, we, we, we're card only, uh, no, no cash allowed. And that's the choice of the business, not the government. 
But in Austria, people are really concerned with rises of digital currency. It makes sense. The government could control your access to it. Look at how in Canada, the government shut truckers out of their bank accounts. In the UK, there's been a scandal over there. Nigel Farage, the uh, conservative leader over there for, for one of the parties, uh, got closed out of his bank account. The bank decided they didn't want to do business with him more and shut him out of his bank account. That's happening more and more in Western countries. And it's probably something we're going to have to think about in this country and protect our rights to real currency. He'll do the research and give it to you straight. Eric Erickson is live every weekday. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now. Y'all, I, I, uh, what do you do with a guy like Al Sharpton? I got to play this audio for you. One day, our children's children will read American history. And can you imagine our reading that James Madison or J Thomas Jefferson tried to overthrow the government so they could stay in power? That's what we're looking at. We're looking at American history. Um, Last I checked, Thomas Jefferson put his name on something called the Declaration of Independence. Uh, he and James Madison were, were, were pretty big on uh, trying to overthrow their government. I, I, how do you how do you say something like this? Listen, regardless of the merits of what you think about Trump or not, uh, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson were literal actual revolutionaries. <laughs> I just Know your history, Reverend Al. Come on, man. Good grief. Um, wow. The things people say on TV. Look, I've been there. I, I've, I've said stuff on TV. It's like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. Um, or that was a dumb thing to say. This dumb thing to say, but here's the difference is I recognized it. I don't think he recognizes that fact. I think he stands by the statement. You guys have a great weekend. I'm going to go attempt to not get struck by lightning on a golf course. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.